And I said, what what is skeleton? And so I started doing my research, watching videos, and I thought, wow, this looks pretty crazy. But you know what? I'm going to try it. Um, Somebody has to make history. Why not me and why not now? Welcome to Hungry Women at Work, the show for the working woman who wants to thrive without losing her soul. I'm your host, Navile Malloy, and today is a really exciting day. Uh, it happens to be the launch episode of Hungry Women at Work. Woohoo! Can I get a drum roll, please? So, when I tell people the name of the show, Hungry Women at Work, it raises a few eyebrows. Like people start asking, why is this woman hungry? Can't someone give her something to eat? Or what kind of workplace is this that she doesn't get a lunch break? I'll tell you a bit more about the story later because, of course, there's a backdrop to the story. But um, essentially what Hungry Woman is all about is how do you make it as a woman in whichever work you're doing without losing your humanity? So as if a launch episode isn't exciting enough, um, there's something even more exciting to celebrate, and that's the guest on our show today. And she herself is a woman of many firsts. Welcome, Simidele Ariagbo. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. What a privilege to have you on the show today. So you are the first female black African athlete in the sport of skeleton. Yep. That's quite a feat. First one to go to the Olympics. Yeah, that is uh, quite a feat. It was a huge barrier that needed to be broken. I'm glad that I was the one that was able to do it. So, Wow. <laughs> well done to you for breaking ground and being such a trailblazer. Thank so you. for our listeners, um, you're probably wondering, what is skeleton? And yeah, <laughs> that was the first thing I wanted too. Um, so essentially, it's um, going downward on an ice track at the speed of 80 miles or 130 kilometers per hour. Correct. Wow. <laughs> and you made history in that. Yes, it was an amazing experience. And to be honest, I didn't know much about the sport myself either. Uh, about six months ago, I, I was discovering the sport. I learned of it. First, I was interested in bobsled. Most people know what bobsled is only because of the movie Cool Runnings, <laughs> where uh, that movie, you know, uh, documents the Jamaican story. Uh, they were the first team kind of outside of the traditional European countries to go to the Winter Olympics in bobsled back in 1988. Um, so everybody remembers that story, even though it's like 30 years old now. Yeah, I remember that story. Yeah. So I, I knew of bobsled because of that. And so I was curious about bobsled, and I actually discovered skeleton only after looking into bobsled and realizing that the team was set for bobsled. And somebody said, well, here's an, another sport. It's similar, called skeleton. And I said, what, what is skeleton? <laughs> and so I started doing my research, watching videos, and I thought, wow, this looks pretty crazy. But you know what? I'm going to try it. Um, somebody has to make history. Why not me and why not now? I like that. Somebody's got to make history. Why not me? Thanks for making history with us on the show today. <laughs> so um, I'm going to come back to your life as a skeleton athlete. But so essentially, you're, you've got quite a history. You were born in Canada, yeah. raised in Nigeria till the age of six. Then you moved to Kentucky, USA. 
-hmm. And now you're living in Johannesburg, South Africa. There's clearly a backstory here. Were your parents <laughs> pilots or missionaries? What's the story? No, my dad's actually a professor, a university professor. And I think from time to time, university professors kind of move around doing their research and teaching at different schools. Um, so he had different opportunities that came to him um, in Canada, in the U.S. And through that, I got to experience uh, different countries living, growing up. And yeah. what do you call home? Well, home for me is Nigeria, really. And sure. I think that's what this journey that I've just taken through the Winter Olympics really represented. Uh, although I had the opportunity to live in a few different countries, it was always home. Uh, Nigeria was always home in our household. Um, so the culture in which I know, the foundation that I know, uh, that comes from Nigerian culture. And that's how I was raised. So that's home. Uh, but now home is South Africa. And I, I'm also enjoying living here. It's been great for the last five years. South Africa, that doesn't have an ice track and that doesn't get much snow. And this is the place you birthed your Winter Olympic dream. Hey, big up to you, lady. Thank you. Impossible is nothing. That is so true. I think it, it makes sense that this is where this dream was birthed because when I moved here five years ago, I felt like it was a homecoming in a sense. And one of the things that drew me to wanting to relocate to Africa was just the possibilities that I see in Africa. I think people sometimes disregard it because of the way that Africa has been portrayed in the Western world. And it hasn't been a good story that has been told about Africa. So for me coming back, I got to experience the real Africa that those of us who live here, we see every day. It's about innovation, resilience. The people here are brilliant and there's so much hope and, um, you know, great things going on. So for me, this journey kind of represented that. And through that, I hoped that I was able to somehow try to redefine how people see Africa. Sure. And I think you definitely have done that indeed. So yeah, back to the sport of skeleton. Um, so let's just say it again. You're going downhill on an ice track yep. at 130 kilometers per hour. Clearly, um, you're living the do something every day that scares you thing, right? <laughs> So for all our hungry women listeners who uh, might be facing a scary or challenging time at work, how do you psych yourself up to do something crazy? And what are some of the principles that, that get you facing downward really quickly? Yeah, yeah it, it can be very scary uh, to do that sport. Um, when I first started, I knew nothing. And I had basically four months to figure it out before the Olympics. And so the very first time I went down the track, I was terrified. Um, and nothing can really prepare you for what you experience because your body is not used to going at those speeds. You don't know how to control the sled. But for me, I think the bigger significance of the journey always kind of was what I was focusing on. And I just focused on the bigger goal. And I knew that if I was able to accomplish that goal, I would inspire a lot of people. And even if I didn't accomplish it, I felt like by just going on the journey, uh, would be some sort of inspiration. And so I kind of kept my eye on that bigger prize. And so whenever I got scared, that continued to motivate me to push past the fear. So I think, you know, that principle translates to everything in life. If you have kind of a bigger purpose, a bigger goal, a bigger thing that you're looking to do in those moments where you have fear, you find a reason to push past them, kind of just focusing on that bigger goal. Sure. 
keeping your eye on the bigger prize. Now, I know um, your, in your story, you speak about how this wasn't your first Olympic dream, but you actually had a different Olympic dream mm-hmm. many years ago. So maybe tell us a little bit about that. And I mean, it, it also we also know that you went into retirement mm-hmm. for a number <laughs> of years. So tell us about um, when the dream doesn't look quite like what you imagined it to look. Yeah. And then tell us about the reinvention game. <laughs> I mean, if somebody would have told me 10 years ago that I would be doing something called skeleton and I would become a Winter Olympian, I would have laughed and said, yeah, yeah, right. (laughs) Um, But, you know, the dream was reimagined uh, for me in a much different way than I ever thought. So growing up, I did the sport of track and field, specifically the event of triple jump. And I spent many years kind of just mastering that skill. I trained with the best coaches. I really had the goal of getting to the Summer Olympics in the triple jump. Um, And I dedicated myself to that fully. I went to two Olympic trials uh, in 2004 and 2008. I came really, really close to making it, um, but I just missed making the team in 2008. And that for me was a huge disappointment after just spending so much time and energy devoted to this one goal um, to come so close, but yet so far was, was very, very disappointing. Um, but I was satisfied in the sense that I felt like I gave it my very best effort when I thought through and reflected. I, I couldn't think of anything more that I could have done. So I was content in that I've given it my all. And so I thought, you know, it just wasn't meant to be. And I was content and happy to move on in life. So I went on to continue my career. And uh, that dream just kind of, you know, was left there um, in 2008. Um, fast forward and 10 years later, um, you know, I, I learned of this opportunity to try out skeleton. And for me, you know, I felt very early on that, uh, perhaps this is a different way of reaching the same goal. Uh, There was, I, I felt that there was a clear voice within me, God speaking to me to say, you know, this is your chance. Um, and even though, you know, along the way there were times where I doubted or, was scared. I just followed that kind of voice and that dream um, that was rebirthed. And I said, well, I'm going to try and see what happens. I, the great thing about this second chance was that I felt that I had nothing to lose. And so I just really went for it. And I thought, what is the worst that can happen? And uh, yeah, it was reimagined and it was beautiful nonetheless. Wow. Reimagined and beautiful nonetheless. I think there's so much in your story that can inspire so many of us. So obviously, sometimes we, we've got a t- career trajectory, right? There's mm-hmm. a goal and we, I've got my five-year plan and then it doesn't happen and disappointment hits. And as an athlete, probably more than most. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you speak about that, the voice inside, you know, the inner voice, that mm-hmm. inner conviction, um, God speaking to you through this. Um, what are some of the things that you would do on a practical level to just get through those days when it just felt like this is so sucky? <laughs> <laughs> Pray. <laughs> um, yeah, I, everybody has those days, you know, where you're just like, what have I signed up for and why am I doing this? Um, and uh, throughout my journey, I kind of was always aware that sometimes having faith in the middle is the toughest part. So we all get excited about the start of a journey, the birth of a dream, you know, because we're very inspired and we're, you know, really motivated to go after it. 
But then challenges come, and that's where a lot of people often give up. But I knew that that middle part, I had to be tough, and I had to be steadfast in my faith. So just on a practical level, I think I always try to stay somewhere in the middle, literally. Um, Never get too high, but also never get too low. And when the bad days come, just brush them off as, well, that was a bad day. Tomorrow is a different day. And uh, pick myself up the next day and hope that it would be better. And so I never tried to get too high, too low. I just tried to stay focused on the bigger goal. And really, I felt that if I continued to believe for that, then um, the outcome would be uh, positive. Hmm. How much of that inner belief do you think is just something we're born with? How much of it is something we can cultivate? How important is the role of a supportive community like mentors or peer mentors? I think the role of a supportive community is huge. Um, And that's something I experienced directly through my journey to get to the Olympics. At the start of it, I started realizing very early on that not everybody was as excited about my goal as I was. (laughs) Because I was told initially by some people that Actually, it takes about eight years to really develop in this sport. Um, You just have four months, so (laughs) good luck. (laughs) The haters. (laughs) The haters. (laughs) You know, and those people oftentimes have good intentions and they're just trying to help you. Um, But I felt that um, I needed to make sure that I surrounded myself with people who believed in the same way that I did. So if I sensed that you were kind of giving me the side eye, like as I was explaining what I was trying to do, I would just kind of, you know, distance myself and really stick to the people who uh, saw the same vision that I had and were willing and able to encourage and support. And so that was a very deliberate, conscious decision that I made from the beginning because I knew I didn't have a lot of time or energy to spend in negative spaces. Um, So you have to be deliberate about who you surround yourself with. Um, And I think that that's something that was really helpful for me as I I went through the journey. Hmm. And so did you uh, deliberately go about finding this community or do you think that they just were drawn to you? Um, Probably a mix of both. I think God sent me some really good people at the right time um, that helped me. Um, And then some people, I had to really be... Uh, a go-getter through this journey. I was so new to the sport, I knew nothing. And I had to go out and find experts. And I think that's something that's very practical, uh, whether you're doing skeleton or in your career, when you're trying to make a a transition, get to the next uh, step of your career, reach out to those people proactively. I hustled to make this (laughs) happen. So I think those principles apply in life. So you have to go after certain people and then you have to see what they're like, you know, but you, I, I, I think taking the first step, we all have the power to do that. So I was always reaching out to people and seeing, you know, if they could help me or asking specifically for advice in this area or that area and uh, really trying to get help from where, wherever it was possible. Sure. And obviously um, your sport, um, 
was would open you up to a lot of bruises. I saw on your Instagram <laughs> feed, um, there were bruises for days. Mm-hmm. So many of us are, are getting knocked down in the workplace day <laughs> after day, week after week. Uh, what's, what, what motivation do you have to the woman who's feeling just a little bit bruised right now? <laughs> <laughs> that was something very interesting about Skeleton for me. It really had a lot of parallels to real life. So literally, okay. as I was getting bruised and battered as I was learning. That's part of learning. Um, It really reinforced the life lesson that I think we all know, but sometimes we forget um, is that no matter how much you're getting bruised and tossed around or you have to keep pushing forward. And for me, I literally had no other choice. Um, I had this goal. I wanted to get to it. Bruises or not, I had to keep pushing forward. So with skeleton, we, we call it taking hits that's what leads to the bruises when you take hits on the track. <laughs> so I kind of adopted the the motto of I'm going to take the hits, but keep pushing forward. Um, so I, I'm going to keep taking that principle to my real life. And uh, that's what I've done. Um, sometimes you're going to have to have some hits, hard hits. Sometimes they'll slow you down a little bit more. Other ones are just quick taps that don't slow you down as much. But however hard it is, the hit is you know you have to keep pushing forward. You cannot stop. That's not an option. Sure, lady. When is this book being written? (laughs) Taking the hits. I I see it right now. Um, So as a first woman in so many things, in sports, but also just as a woman working, um, have you ever faced any harassment or um, prejudice? Uh, Yeah, I think... As women who are working, um, there's not always overt prejudice um, or somebody harassing you. There are certainly situations where people are harassed. But I think for me in my 15-year career, what I've always found difficult is really how to assert myself as a woman without feeling that people are somehow intimidated by that or having a negative perception of that. And I really sometimes struggle to find that balance of um, how much is too much when you are a woman that has a direct point of view? Do you have right. to sugarcoat it right. with a smile? Um, is that necessary? Um, how do you lead a team um, and make sure you're bringing people along, um, but sometimes you're not given the same leeway as a man because um, people um, judge you completely different. So sure. those are some of the challenges I think women face just um, based on how people perceive us. Yeah. Sure. So many gems in what you're saying today, lady. And um, now that you've achieved the Olympic dream, or at least a version of it, now what? What's what's next? What's on your what? How do you keep yourself busy right now? And <laughs> and then where to from here? Well, things are very busy. So I've returned back to what they call a day job. Um, <laughs> I'm a marketing manager, um, and so I'm showing up to work every day, um, but I'm also very much actively pursuing um, the new platform that I have and seeing what kind of impact I can continue to make. Um, I think the Olympics was certainly a good first step, but there's still so much to be done in the sense of um, continuing to break barriers. Um, I can continue to do that as an athlete, and I think I'm 36 years old. Um, so I wow. think that's one thing that we, sh- we should probably have some real talk on because wow. when you think about 
what people think you should be doing at this age, you know, it's probably not trying to make it to another Olympics. <laughs> um, but I feel like, you know, I just discovered this sport and I feel great. I think that 10 year retirement really helped me. <laughs> so I'm feeling like, you know, I am, you know, still good to go. And so I want to continue to explore that as an athlete where the sport of skeleton can take me and perhaps break another barrier. You know, this time I went, I got 20th place, which was a good step. Sure. Maybe next time I could get a medal. Who knows? I don't know. But come on. I, I really want to just continue to push myself as an athlete. Outside of being an athlete, though, it's more about, again, this platform, the bigger significance of this journey and what it represents and what it means, not only for girls and women here in Africa, but all around the world. And there's some great dialogue and conversations happening right now around women and breaking barriers and things like that. I want to have a voice in that. Um, so I'm looking for spaces that I can do that um, and just exploring and seeing what happens. Wow, that is awesome. So um, to our listeners, in case you're wondering what it takes to qualify on the show, you don't have to be an Olympian to be featured on the show. But hey, when a Winter Olympian says she's available to be featured, of course you're going to grab the opportunity. But what makes Simi... Um, so unique and special to us is that apart from like what you were saying, that you're using your platform to help other women break barriers. And I know you've been doing quite a bit of work back in Nigeria, um, mm -hmm. developing young women in sport. Do you want to tell us a bit about that? Yes. Yeah, so I'm really excited. I am partnering with some grassroots organizations um, just to speak to girls. I think that um, sometimes girls don't always have positive role models in their lives, you know, depending on where they're coming from. And I think there's a really sweet spot that I have to share um, around what sports can do to unlock your potential in your life, but not only through the lens of sport, but just as a business leader, I have some, you know, things I want to share with girls about leadership that I think that if you start um, instilling these qualities in them, helping them realize what their strengths are from a very early age, I think their trajectory can be very different. So I want to cultivate leaders in the classroom, in the community. And I think that through sport and through kind of just some basic leadership skill development, um, I can play a role to do that. So um, I'm really excited. I'm actually headed soon to Nigeria to roll out that concept, um, working with some grassroots organizations there. So if we just reach one girl, that's great. But wow. uh, we're, we're going out trying to speak to, you know, as many girls as we can. Sure. And, and that's what Hungry Women is all about. It's about using that platform, using your sphere of influence to really lift others up and to bring others along. So um, just on a lighter note, um, listeners, if you haven't seen this woman, you've got a Googler. Her biceps <laughs> have biceps. So can you give us some like three exercise hacks? Like not all of us are going to be the Olympian that you are, right? But like give us three exercise hacks that we could do during a busy day at work just to keep us fresh and maybe hope that we can see some definition on these arms one day. <laughs> well, yeah, I think, you know, time is not always on our side as busy women. And right before I began my Olympic journey, I had done some research around a specific type of workout called the Tabata workout. It's a principle that says basically you only need four minutes to get things done. Okay, um, wait, you had me right there. Okay, <laughs> four minutes, right? Four minutes. And it's the the principle is that if that four minutes includes the right intensity, 
then you are going to accomplish much more than you could if you spent 30 or, you know, 20 or 30 minutes. So you have to get the four minutes right. So it's a matter of high interval training in bursts. Um, so I, I was I was enjoying it when I was doing it because four minutes is great. <laughs> um, anyone can survive four minutes, yeah. right? And that burns a lot of calories and, you know, gets you going in the right direction. And you don't really need to be even in the gym. I would do this in my living room, uh, push-ups, things like that. Um, so that's a hack. And then I think a lot of us forget that I think six packs get made in the kitchen. Um, and <laughs> six packs get made in the kitchen. Okay. <laughs> yes. And that's the part that, uh, sometimes we're not always great at myself included. Um, but really trying to eat as cleanly as possible. Oh, um, okay. you know, uh, having lean meats and whole grains. Um, it's not for everyone, but, you know, it's hard to be disciplined, but that's where you really start toning up and leaning up is when you get the, the kitchen part right and the diet part right. <laughs> <laughs> Pearls of wisdom hit me hard. <laughs> so onto part of the show, which is a, a series of rapid fire questions. So I'm just going to ask you some questions <laughs> and you're going to say the first thing that comes to mind. Okay. Um, here we go. A song that gets you through the day. Um, because of who you are. A book that's changed the way you think about work. Change Your Words, Change Your Life by Joyce Meyer. A gadget or app that helps you work smarter. Microsoft Outlook. <laughs> <laughs> your advice to your younger self. Do you. Three things that keep you centered. Family. God and being able to do sport. One thing you do to overcome distraction. Schedule my life. Your advice to younger working women. Know what you want and where you want to go. Your advice to senior women leaders. Be who you are. Don't um, follow anyone's path other than the path that you want to blaze. <laughs> Simir Adiagbo, what a privilege and pleasure to have you here with us today. You are a history maker and you have helped us make history today on our first episode of Hungry Women at Work. Where can people follow you, stay in touch with you? Yes, so people can follow me at Simi Slays. Uh, Slays is, well, Simi, let's spell that first. S as in sugar, I, M as in Mary, I. And then Slays is spelled S as in sugar, L-E-I-G-H-S. So those are my handles on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and SimiSlays.com. Simi Slays, how awesome, because <laughs> we are all about the woman who's slaying in her sphere of influence and yeah. still keeping her humanity in check. Thank you for being with us on the show today. Thank you for having me. It was awesome. Thank you for listening to our launch episode of Hungry Women at Work. On each show, we also feature practical answers to a question or a challenge from a listener. Dimakatsu from the East Rand asks, how do I do this mentorship thing and make the most of a mentorship opportunity? Thanks for your question, Dimakatsu. I think that mentorship is sometimes like dating and there are five principles I'd apply. Do your background check, make the first move, have the talk, 
don't ghost, handle your business. Number one, do your background check. Just like you do some social media stalking before a date, do some research on potential mentors. Also ask yourself, what am I hoping to gain from a mentor? And then, who's in my sphere of influence? Who fits the profile of someone I respect and someone I'd like to learn from? And how easily can I access that person? It's all good and well to want to be mentored by Kanid Lomo or Priscilla Shira, but do you actually have access to them? Or is there perhaps someone closer to home you could reach out to? Number two, make the first move. Now in dating, this may be contentious as to who should make the first move. But as someone who's been both a mentor and a mentee, I've personally found that the most successful mentorships come from those initiated by the mentee. So make that call, send that email, you go on and make the first move. Number three, have the talk. This is similar to the, what is this? Where's it going? Conversation when you're dating someone. Once the mentor has agreed to mentor you, be clear about your expectations and also what you are willing to commit to. And ask your mentor to do the same. Make sure you're both in agreement so that you avoid that it's not you, it's me awkward conversation a few months down the line. Number four, don't ghost. Show up, be consistent. This person has offered you their time and intellect. Grab the opportunity with gratitude and some commitment too. Finally, number five, handle your business. The mentees in my life who've gone on to achieve their goals are the ones who've showed up consistently, the ones who took notes, asked questions, and then went out and handled their business. Well, that's my take on it. Listeners, if you'd like to add your voice to the question, email team at audiodacious.com. That's team at audiodacious.com. To listen to more episodes, follow Hungry Women at Work on SoundCloud and Iona FM or join our WhatsApp broadcast list for updates on 060-921-6977. That's 060-921-6977. Thanks again for tuning in and don't forget to thrive at work without losing your soul.